Have people ever told you, don't be a follower, be a leader? In today's challenge, I'm going to challenge you to be a follower and not to be a leader. And the lesson that I'm going to present to you is that if you want to be successful, you need to be a follower and not a leader. All right, so let's get into it. All right, so let's start with the hook. I'm going to start with a quote, and then I'm going to get into the story and explain to you why you need to be a follower and not a leader. Seems counterintuitive, right? This is a quote by Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So what's the lesson there? The lesson is that this quote can either work for you or against you. If the five people that you're hanging around the most are successful and you are the average of those five people, that's a good thing. But if the five people that you're hanging around with the most are not successful, then you're going to be the average of their lack of success. So the message that Jim Rohn is saying is that you have to be intentional about who you're going to spend your time with. You really have to protect it because it's going to impact the quality of life that you're going to have. I was talking to a friend, just to give you an example about the reason to be intentional. I was having a conversation with a woman in her 30s, and she's single, and I was talking to her about, about dating and meeting other people. I'm like, well, what do you do to try to meet other people? Well, I don't do anything. Well, do you have a math.com profile? Are you online? No. Are you doing anything to find the person that you want to have in your life? No. So what are you waiting for? Are you just waiting to just like walk into a bar or just have this person randomly walk into the street? But that's how a lot of people used to meet people. It's just who happened to be in the bar, who happened to you know come up and approach them. And a lot of people, they just won't take that step. Well, there's a problem with that. If you're just receptive to the people that are coming and approaching you, you're missing out on a whole lot of people that you can be intentionally choosing to have in your life. So the people that are coming into your life are not the people that you're choosing. It's just the people who are choosing you, but they may not be the people that are best for you. They may not be success-oriented. They may not be people that are going to drive you and motivate you. They might be people that are actually going to be holding you back. So... The point of that story is you don't want to just have things happen to you. You want to make things happen. Don't let just five randomly people, five random people show up in your life and you decide that's who you're going to spend the most time with. Be intentional. If you're single and you're looking for a life partner or someone to hang out with, be intentional. Just, Just don't wait for people to come up to you because you're selecting from whatever it is that decides to come up with you. You know, put some thought into it. Be proactive. Decide, you know, what is it that I want? Who do I want to hang around? And be selective that way because you're out there looking as opposed to being selective on who just happens to come up with, uh, come up to you. But I think by default, most people just randomly have people come into their lives instead of being intentional about it. All right. Darren Hardy is the author of a book called The Compound Effect. And he gives some information, which I think is interesting. He says, according to research by social psychologist, Dr. David McClelland of Harvard, your reference group, meaning the people you associate with the most, will determine as much as 95% of your success or failure in life. 
end quote. Now, the part meaning the people you associate with the most, I added that because I was trying to give meaning to what he means by reference group. So in other words, according to this uh, psychologist at Harvard, he believes that the people that you hang out with the most will determine up to 95% of whether you're a success or a failure in life. That's interesting, kind of closely related to the other uh, quote, which is you're the average of the five people you hang around with the most. What he's saying is who you hang around with the most is going to determine 95% of whether you're a success or failure. So you know, Jim Rohn, he's now passed, but he was a very successful motivational speaker. He had a lot of great things to say. This guy went to Harvard. Darren Hardy's quoting him. If, they, if they're saying this, there, there's meaning to that, right? And the way that we've heard about it, like I was heard adults say when I was a kid is, oh, I'm concerned they're hanging around with the wrong crowd. Well, what did the parents mean? They're like, well, hanging out with the wrong crowd that they're going to start getting into drugs. They're going to do some type of illegal activity. That's basically what they meant. Like hanging around with the wrong crowd is going to get them in drugs or in jail, uh, that sort of thing. Now, what I would invite is hanging around the wrong crowd are the five people that you hang around with the most that are not going to take you where you want to go. You get to define what success is and what failure is. Not me, not your parents, not other people. You decide. And if you're not deciding what success or failure is for you, then the five people you're hanging around the most are going to decide that for you. And you basically become a victim. And you're a follower of people that are going to take you wherever the wind blows, as opposed to you deciding who those five people are going to be and determining what's important for you and where and where you want to go. So this is all about you, right? So this podcast is called Challenge Me. It's meant to challenge you. Now, you're in high school. You want to succeed in life. Who are you going to hang around with that are going to help you succeed in school and get great, great, good grades, get good Get great grades. God, say that five times. I can't believe I stumbled on that. But who are these people that you're going to hang around with that are going to help you get there? Are they people that are just going to want to text you all the time and bother you? Or are there people that want the same thing for you? I remember when I was in high school, we the person that ended up becoming our valedictorian, he had this guy that followed around that was basically fangirling him and because... Why did the second person, who I won't name, hang around the valedictorian? Because everybody knew this guy was the smartest guy in school, and he wanted to associate with him. He wanted to collaborate with him because he knew he was successful. He wanted to model that behavior, and he wanted to see whatever he could learn. What, what kind? What, what that? What would that mean for him to have this relationship with the smartest guy and the guy that's getting the best grades in school? So he decided at least I'm going to hang around him. And when you looked at his other friends that he associated with, they were also top students. I, I would think one of the edges that private schools probably have over public schools, other than uh, smaller classrooms and teachers that uh, you know maybe b- better qualified because they're making more money. I, other than those those variables, I think what they have as a competitive advantage is you would think that more of the students there may be more academically oriented. So there's a peer pressure to succeed. 
everybody's kind of competing each other, driving each other. If your five friends are all succeeding, you're gonna they're gonna drag you along with them because that's what they're doing. If the five friends you're hanging around with the most are doing drugs or screwing around, you're probably going to be doing that. I had a friend when I was younger, I think, um, I don't know, what was it, by sixth grade or whatever, I went to hang out with him and he had some other friends I'd never met before and they start asking, you know, offering me pot. Well, I thought that was a big deal back then. It's like, all right, these people are offering me pot and I didn't distinguish between pot and say, oh, a well, pot is, is fine. It certainly wasn't legal then. Let me try some pot. I just looked at drugs were just no good, whether it was heroin, cocaine or marijuana. And it's like, they knew I was uncomfortable and I didn't try it. And it's like this friend that I had that I grew up with, that's the path that he took and I knew I, this is not what I want, and I got the hell out of there. Otherwise, I would have been doing what they're doing. So I think the kids at these private schools are academically oriented. They go to the, they get accepted to the best Ivy League schools out there. That's why their parents pay so much money, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, to go to middle school, elementary, and high school because they want their kids to succeed. And I don't think it's just the teachers. I think the peer uh, pressure from the other students. The environment that that they're in is a, has a, a huge component. I heard that Jenny Craig, which was a weight loss uh, business that was started, I think, in the 60s, they said that what made Jenny Craig business such a success was there were there were peers, there were people that they paired up with each other, and so they were all kind of learning and motivating each other. They weren't doing it on their own, so they basically became the average of the people that they were hanging around with, or did it Jenny Craig. So there was sort of, like I said, a peer pressure, but in in a good way. So I think it's really important that you intentionally choose who you're going to hang with at school and in your social life, because they're either going to help you get to where you want to get, or they're going to discourage you and they're going to drag you down. Now, let's see, are you a follower or are you a leader? Everybody says, well, I'm not a follower. I want to be a leader. I think my dad used to say that to me all the time, and he had the best intentions. He's like, son, don't follow anybody. You want to be the leader. You want to you know, be, be, a, be a head. And that makes a lot of sense in, in some ways. But the argument that I want to make today is that it's better to be a follower than it is to be a leader. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Leaders. I had somebody explain that you know, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. We've all heard that term, reinventing the wheel. And he's like, the people that are the pioneers, the people that are experimenting and trying, that are learning new things and forging new frontiers, these are the ones that have arrows on their backs and are lying face down in the dirt. To be a leader, you're taking risks. You're going out there, you're trying new things. You're going to have arrows in your back. You're going to fall face down because you're trying new things. Now, if you're a follower and you're learning from other people's success, that's good. Tony Robbins says, if you want to be successful, model success. Do what other successful people do. We see it in sports, like basketball was my sport. We model the people that we like, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal, LeBron James, and you see players like on the schoolyard and they start pretending that they're certain players or they they kind of develop their style they want to model successful behavior and and so you don't want to have the arrows in your back and being face down you want to learn from those people 
Find out what worked and what didn't work and follow the stuff that works. Now, the other uh, argument I would make to be a follower is be a follower of the successful people and not others. But probably the most important thing for you to be a follower of is be a follower of your dreams. Follow your dreams. Your dreams are bigger than you are. Your dreams are going to take you out of your present circumstance. I was born in March, so I'm a Pisces. And so I'm told the Pisces are the dreamers. Dreaming is great. You visualize things. You you wish for a better life. You get to see it, you know, uh, as far as what it is that you want. So follow your dreams. So I would probably put that as number one, follow your dreams more than anything, and then find out what is it going to take to attain those dreams by following the people that have already been out in the frontier and have made mistakes so that you don't have to make those same mistakes. So be a follower, not of unsuccessful people, but be a follower of people who have written books. I am a huge proponent of self-development books, business books. I don't I don't like to to read fiction. I like to read something that's going to give me results, something that's going to give me information that I can put into practice. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading fiction books. That's just not something that I'm, that I'm into. But reading books is so valuable. Have you ever heard of a guy named Ty Lopez? Ty Lopez has these videos. You get to see all his cars, his house, his wealth. And he was the first guy, really, that I saw that openly went on and talked about the value of books. He just reads probably hundreds, if not thousands of books. And he understands the value of it. And what you see, the product of learning from so many different people and so many different perspectives is he's accumulated all this wealth and he has this huge following. Now, a lot of people, like when I was in school and of course I became you know, just reading and studying all the time, there was a lot of criticism because people start resenting your success and they want to start chopping down at you. And they're like, oh, books aren't valuable. You're not, you know, books have nothing to do with the real world. You need to have street smarts and you're not going to have street smarts. You're just going to be a bookworm. You know, what you need to learn to be successful, you're not, you can't, you can't learn it from a book. Like when I heard this stuff as a teenager from uh, older people, I was like, oh, wow, maybe they're right and maybe I'm wrong. And it just made me feel really dumb because these people are basically saying, oh, you read books, that's dumb. You know, your life, life is going to teach you the real lessons. And and the reality is it's balance. Of course, you're going to learn valuable lessons in life and live through them and make mistakes. There's, there's, there's no doubt about it. But that doesn't mean that the books have no value or that they're more valuable than the street smarts from what these other people are saying. These other people that think like that and talk like that, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And the reason why they want to devalue the value of books because they're not successful. They weren't studious. They weren't successful in school. They're, they don't value learning. I was watching a video about a, um, Benjamin Franklin that he spent, um, he really wasn't much of anything, but in, in, in high school didn't really accomplish much, but he was an avid re- reader of books. He was an avid learner that he devoted one hour per day to learning. They say that the, you know some of the most successful people out there are 
our, our readers. So let me tell you about books. When people just, they, they, they contradict themselves. They're like, stay in school and get an education. And that's so important. And nobody can take it away from you. And then you'll hear books. Oh, they diminish the value of books. Well, here's the newsflash. In high school, you needed books. If you wanted to be successful in your class, you needed your book. If you don't have your math textbook, your history textbook, your English textbook, forget it. You're not going to be getting an A in that class. In college, what do you have? Books. Every college student will tell you how expensive college books are. You need books. In law school, what do you need? Books, case books. These are expensive $150, $200 textbooks. Medical school, what do you need? Books. So the educational system, if you want to excel in school, you better have books. And when you graduate school, you better have books. And you need to find books and the things that you want to be successful in. Self-development books, uh, personal improvement books, business books, books that are going to help you get a skill set. There are so many books. So be a follower of the authors out there because somebody was smart enough to write a book. They took the time on to write something that they're an expert in. They have street smarts. They've gone out there and done it. So if somebody's gone out there in the real world, they're putting what they know into a book. So you're getting life experience. So this nonsense of this isn't the real world and you have to go out there and learn it. Somebody else has already gone out there with arrows in their back. They've learned. They've learned uh, life lessons. They've made mistakes and they put it down on paper and you can get out of that book those lessons. You don't have to make those mistakes and you can learn new things. So if the five people that you hang around the most are authors of books, that is a good thing. And as you read books constantly, some people read a book a week, a book a month, two books a week, whatever it is, however, whatever it is, those five people may be changing you for every month, but they're five successful people who are authors of books. So be a follower of book authors. Now, this is interesting, and I was trying to apply this for uh, in a general sense. I'm going to talk about my profession as a lawyer. So our profession is based on case precedent. That means that when you go to court, a judge wants to know, has there been a case that's been decided in the past that is similar to your facts that basic and tells us what the rules are for us to rule in your favor? And so when we go to court, judges want to know, is there a law? Is there a statute that supports your position? Is there a case that supports your position? And it has to be a published case. A published case basically means it's going to be... Um, the courts will have to say that it's published. It goes in these bound books, which generally at the law library, but now you can get them online. And it's a statement of facts. It's a statement of law. It's a court opinion that says this is what happened in this case. These are the rules that have developed over time. And this is the result. So as lawyers, when we have a case, we try to find cases that are just like ours with similar facts. We say these are the rules they applied. And we analogize to our case and said these facts are the similar so the law should be applied this way in favor of our client. Well, there are all kinds of tools that we can use as lawyers to find these cases. We can read them ourselves, but there are also these things out there that are called practice guides. Practice guides are written by some of the best lawyers in the state. 
They are written sometimes by judges. They're written by people that have devoted their life to a very, very small, tiny area of law. It's like finding somebody that just specializes in like brain surgery or spine surgery or whatever, and they write a book on it. So what's great about practice, guys, is you don't want to just read a case on your own and try to reinvent the wheel. You want to find the best lawyers in the world, in the state, who know this subject and see what's their perspective. But guess what? There's more than one practice guide. So I might look at five different practice guides on the same subject so I can learn from five of the best. And sometimes I find you know, three people saying this, the same thing and then number four and five people are offering additional tips. So I want to get as many perspectives as I can. So that's kind of like me spending my time with the five best practice guides authors to get the best result because that's if if I do that if I'm spending my time with the five best practice guide authors my work is going to reflect uh, their wisdom and their years that they've dedicated their whole life to so it's super important so I always tell my employees is we are in a profession and this is where we have to put our ego aside it's an it's a profession that does not value creativity it doesn't care about my opinion and it doesn't care about your opinion. And so many people go to lawyers and say, I need to get legal advice. I need to get a legal opinion. But you know what? My legal opinion doesn't matter. My employee's legal opinion doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what does the case law say? So when I tell my employees, and I preface it so I don't hurt their feelings, is look, I'm not interested in your opinion. And the courts are not interested in your opinion in your opinion either. What we are interested in is you going out there and finding what the smart people have said, the judges in these published opinions. I want you to go and find what the best practice guide authors, book authors, are saying about these cases and saying what the law is and how it should be interpreted. It's kind of like a version of, of Cliff Notes, if you know what Cliff Notes are, that's teaching us all the insights and nuances and tips and tricks. Your job is not to think and be creative and tell me your opinion, but it's to go out there and be an investigator and find the opinions of the best legal minds in the world and tell me what they say. And that's that's what matters. If you're in front of the Supreme Court of the United States or any court and you're just up there and say, this is my opinion and let me tell you, about, who cares about your opinions? The court's going to say, what case are you relying on? Oh, well, I don't have an opinion, but let me tell you about my logic. Let me show how creative I am. We don't care about creativity. We don't care about logic. We care about case precedent. What happened in the past and what are those rules and why should they apply to your case using the same analogy? So why did I talk about that? Here's the lesson. I'm going to connect the dots. So connecting the dots is me telling you my plain English interpretation. So connecting the dots is... Your opinion, if you're not successful, your opinion of success doesn't matter. Who cares what you think what it takes to become successful if you're not successful? Your job is to go out there and research who are the most successful people out there for what I want to do, whether it's a hairdresser, whether it's a car mechanic, astronaut, doctor, lawyer, dentist, singer, songwriter, blogger, influencer, who are the most successful people out there? What beliefs do they have? 
What is their strategy? What mistakes have they made? What advice do they have for me so that I can be successful? Go find the five best people in the world that are book authors, influence, whatever they are. Hang around them the most by spending time with them and listening to their podcast and reading their books. Because your opinion of success doesn't matter if you're not successful, but their opinion of success matters. So be a follower of successful people, of successful authors, but most importantly, the only reason why you're following them is you're following your dreams. You're not looking to be a copycat, right? You can copycat models of what people do to be successful, that they're hanging around smart, successful people, but you're unique and you need to go be uniquely you. Don't be a copycat. Follow your dreams. Follow your vision. Don't be somebody else. We need you to be uniquely you, but you can learn from others so that you can have your own individual and unique success. Just because you model what makes success in other people doesn't mean that you're going to lose your uniqueness. And I think it's really important to understand that. When I say nobody cares about your creativity or your opinion or your logic, don't take that personally or in a negative way. Obviously, your creativity matters. Your opinion does matter. Your logic matters. What I'm saying is if you're not successful and you try to come up with your own opinions and logic of what it takes to be successful, you're reinventing the wheel and there's no reason to do it when you can learn from other people that have been there. The mentorship, it's just so important. So I just want you to get that distinction on uh, on what I'm trying to say here. So you know, mistakenly think, what the hell is this guy talking about? I don't agree with that. Well, if you don't agree that it's a good idea to model what successful people are doing and you want to figure it out yourself, go for it. Because the research is against you that if you just try to do this all on your own and disregard what other people have to say and hang around with the five people you spend around time the most, you know, good luck with that. Because the research, according to the Harvard professor, is the people you hang around with the most are going to determine 95% of your success or failure. And those people, you're either going to model success or you're going to model lack of success and you're going to model mediocrity. That is huge, right? I want to tell you a story. So today I was driving my, uh, uh, my girlfriend's car and she has a Porsche and we're driving, we're going to the chiropractor and I'm in the slow lane. I'm not in a rush. I'm not trying to impress anybody with my car, right? Or my girlfriend's car. And, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, in, in the middle lane is this like big kind of truck, like a garbage truck or whatever. And then I noticed like he was ahead of me the whole time in that I, I had subconsciously stayed like five feet behind him in the other lane. And I had just kind of kept this pace for a while. I don't know how many minutes had gone by. And then it kind of occurred to me like, why am I behind this this car, this this truck? He could kick up a rock and break the windshield or whatever. But what I realized is I started pacing myself based on the speed that this that this truck was going. And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm in a Porsche. So I just smoked that guy 
And then now that I have momentum, I started coming up on some other cars. I went into like the far left lane and there were, and I passed up like two, three cars that I otherwise would have been lulled to sleep just following them. And I remind, re, I was reminded that I'm in a Porsche. This car's got power. I can smoke these guys. And then my off-ramp was there and I took the off-ramp. And I started to realize, you know, I've noticed so many other times, you know, having you know, driven at a Porsche my whole life, but just other, didn't matter what car I was driving, is that I would be behind other cars for long periods of time going at their speed and the rest of the freeway is basically empty. And then I change a lane and I'm like, and then I, I go past that person who's driving very slow. And I look in the mirror and I'm like, why was I going that slow? Did I just go into some kind of like hypnotic trance? And it just doesn't make any sense. It's like, yeah, I just started going slow like this. It's like, follow the leader. I'm following the leader. People are going slow. Then I'm going slow. And then when I snap out of it and I look into my rear mirror, I'm like, what was I doing? And they're so far away. And I'm like, if I stayed in that hypnotic trance, I'd be way, 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 way in the back. And I started to realize like, if I'm doing that consistently over my life, just letting yourself uh, let somebody else set in the pace. How are we, maybe we're doing that as well in our rest of our lives. Like with the five people you're hanging around with the most, that we start to slow down and we start to lower our standards and our expectations based on are people setting a higher standard? Are they motivating us? Are they inspiring us? Are they going to do bigger and better things? Because if the natural inclination is just to go in the slow lane and follow other people, everybody else is going there, as opposed to changing lanes and realizing like, wait a minute, I've got the body of a Porsche. I've got speed. I've got power. I was built. I was engineered. I was born for something better, something faster. I'm going to smoke these guys. I don't belong here. And you just shift gears and you just pass all those five people. And guess who you're going to catch up with? The five people that are going to push you into that next level of success. So think about that. The next story I th think about is my cat. The, the, well, her name's Girl, but we always refer to her as The Girl. Adorable cat. And she's 17 now. But when she was younger, so this would be like 2000, mm, 2007. So she's like she would have been like three years old then. Incredible. I wouldn't have believed it if I didn't see it. My, my girlfriend, Jennifer, screamed out and said, look at the girl. And the girl was chasing our neighbor's dog. Remember, the girl's like a little cat. And the dog was a Rhodesian Ridgeback, a full-grown Rhodesian Ridgeback. And this dog, Tyson, was just running fast. And the girl was chasing him so fast because the girl, she thought she was the boss. And she was chasing like a mouse. And Tyson, seeing her fierceness, believed it. And he took off almost like yelling. And we're watching. It's like, what the hell's going on? And then all of a sudden, at some point, Tyson realized, like, wait, something's wrong here. And then Tyson started chasing the girl. And the girl took off. I'm like, oh, my God, my poor cat. I don't know if Tyson's going to hurt her. He's a sweet dog, but I don't know. And the girl runs up in a tree, and she's stuck up in that tree for hours. And we had to get our friend, who's a tree guy, come and get the girl out instead of letting him grab her she basically jumped from the tree for like 25 feet and I'm like oh my god my cat's hurt but you know she was fine but that's an example of the girl thinking that she was 
you know, powerful and big and strong, but she really wasn't. And then Tyson, who was big and strong, started thinking that he was small and diminutive, that he needed to run. And then once the girl was reminded, oh, I'm tiny and little, then she started running. So how many of you out there where you look at yourself the way the girl did, strong and powerful and fierce, that didn't matter how big the challenge or obstacle was, she was going to destroy this obstacle with her fierceness and you know this, this strong attitude. And then doubt starts creeping in because that's what happened at some point because Tyson realized, saw something in the girl that says, oh, I should be chasing her. And so instead of us chasing our dreams and, and not having our dreams chasing us, we start having our fears chasing us and we go up in a tree and we get stuck and we get paralyzed and we drop and we fall down in life. So how you look at yourself is so important to how and whether you're going to pursue your dreams. How you look at yourself is going to be determined on the people you hang around with the most. Those people are a reflection of you. It's you looking in the mirror and what you see is what you're going to get back. I've talked earlier about the story of the eagle that hangs around with turkeys, doesn't know that he's an eagle. That eagle is never going to soar like an eagle if he or she is hanging around turkeys. You are not going to be able to fly and soar like an eagle if you're hanging around turkeys. I talked about the song Crazy by Seal, the artist Seal. And he said, in a sky full of people, only some want to fly. Isn't that crazy? The majority of people, the masses, don't want to fly. Isn't it crazy? They want to be turkeys. They don't want to soar high like eagles. So hang around eagles if you're an eagle. And if you're a turkey, hang around turkeys. I was uh, 25, 24, and um, you know, I went to see my dad, and he started realizing that like, I was changing the way I was talking, and I kept on saying bud. I'm like, hey, bud, you know bud, 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 bud. I had never used the word bud in my life. I'm like, hey, what's up, bud? Hey, bud, hey, bud. And my dad's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Who are you hanging around that all of a sudden that you're saying bud? And I wish I could remember exactly how I was saying it, but it wasn't the way that I had talked. I was like, well, you know, it's my friend so-and-so and how that person was going to start influencing my behavior. Well, the interesting thing is, you know, I had this friend, loved the guy. He was great. We'd go out, hang out at, uh, and, you know, go to bars and clubs. And I hadn't been drinking yet, but my, but my friend, he was an alcoholic big time right? Like the first alcoholic friend that I had. And we'd always, we'd go out to clubs and bars and he was always like, Damien, have a drink. Damien, have a drink. Damien, have a drink. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't drink alcohol. I, and, I, and I didn't. I was 24 years old, didn't have any alcohol. And he's like, oh, come on. You need to loosen up. You'd be a you know happy, fun, drunk. I'm like, look, man. And I would almost like get upset and offended. Like, I don't need to drink to have fun. I don't need that at all. And it's true. I was having great time just being just being me and I didn't need the alcohol but I was hanging around somebody who was an alcoholic and he needed that alcohol and he would always get sick at the end of the night and I was I always felt I was felt badly for him 
But I, so I started to first, I started acquiring how he would talk. And then I went, talked to my dad and my dad picked up on it. And I remember it was like uh, probably 1994. We went to a, a bar, restaurant, whatever. And it was called uh, John Dominic's in Newport Beach. Really fancy place right on the harbor, super rich. On their menus, they have like a $25,000 bottle of wine. And, um, but I, I went there for dinner once at like a hundred bucks and I was like broke after my date ordered whatever she got. I'm like, yeah, I'll have the water and please don't order $50,000 wine because I've got a hundred bucks. But we went there and all of a sudden I just saw all these beautiful girls everywhere. They're all my type. And my friend looked at me and he gave this big smile and he's like, you're nervous, aren't you? And, and and I was. I'm like, no, I'm I'm not nervous. I'm fine. He's like, come on, man, just have a drink, just have a drink. I'm like, no, nope, I'm fine. And then he's like, oh, come on. And then he goes and he gives me this drink. He's like, just try it, just try it. Remember, I'd never had a drink, right? No, no booze, no beer, nothing. But because he was somebody that I was hanging around with the most, I was like, okay, I'll try it. And I drank it. And he's like, do you taste any alcohol in that? I'm like, no. He's like, yeah, there's no alcohol. In it. It's like a really watered down version drink. It'll calm you down. I'm like, okay. So I have the drink and it tastes really sweet. Like I'm drinking seven up or something. And he's like, how is it? I'm like, good. You know, and then I got relaxed and became more carefree and basically made a fool of myself going up to girls. And they're looking at me like, who is this guy? Because now I'm not even being me. I'm just being some fool. And I only drank half of this drink, which was 10 bucks, which was like a ton of money at the time because I was like my whole life savings on a drink. And and so I found out later because it was I probably we had that drink at 10 o'clock and we're at some diner. It's like two in the morning and I still have this buzz from this drink. And he's laughing. It's like, oh, you're such a lightweight. I wish I could just drink half a drink and have this buzz for four hours. And I was just like like this other person, happy go happy go lucky. Well, later I find out that this was a Long Island iced tea, which I was, he told me didn't have any alcohol in it. And then I find it from other people. It's like, are you kidding? That thing is a mixture of so many different types of alcohol. Like you couldn't order a worse drink for alcohol, but it's masked it with, with these, this sweetness. So I didn't taste it. So the point of that story is I started hanging around an alcoholic and next thing you know, I start drinking at age 24. The first time in my life I ever had a drink was at age 24 because I was hanging around somebody who was an alcoholic. I never wanted to start drinking because I knew, hey, I've got an addictive personality. I'm addicted to success. I'm addicted to school. And I had alcoholism in my family. And I remember when I drove home, I told myself, I was talking to myself driving home at like five in the morning, right? These are people I'm hanging around with that are out late. And I'm like, don't kid yourself to think that it's okay for you to drink or you have control over this because I saw it destroy people's lives. I saw it destroy people's health and it scared me. And I'm like, don't believe that you can have control over this. And the next time I went out, it's like, if you go out and drink, because now, now I'm open to the idea, don't kid yourself into thinking that you have control over this or it's not going to destroy you. And, and, and that's scary, right? That's not something that I wanted to do. I was, I was into working out and, and health and fitness. And, um, and I think, you know, when I did start to drink, I think it killed some, a little bit of brain cells because my memory, it wasn't as good and it wasn't as sharp as it used to be. I had a photographic memory, but that I think that I developed only from the hard work and discipline of studying. I did not have it naturally, but with techniques, I acquired it. 
And I started, I never understood people when they would say they would blank out or they couldn't remember phone numbers because back then you had to remember phone numbers. If I saw something, I just remembered it. But then after I started drinking, that was gone. I would start blanking out. Uh, I wouldn't remember phone numbers or whatever. And I was like, wow, you know, look what happened, right? I'm hanging around an alcoholic. And if I don't do something, I'm going to be an alcoholic. And other people that I was hanging out with were drinking, drinking, drinking. So I'm starting to hang around the wrong crowd instead of hanging around people that were doing things that I wanted to do, which was working out and fitness and academics and school. So this was right after college and before I went to law school that I started going out and just having a good time. I was f- focused on entertainment as and getting away from what got me to where I was, which was learning and discipline. So you have to be on guard on who you spend your time with because eventually you can get pulled in. There's exceptions because I said no so many times when he offered me drinks, you're going to get pulled into what they're doing. So why not hang around people that are going to pull you into what they're doing that's positive for your life? So remember that. And I think that when I look back at school, because you're like, well, you know, why should I get great grades? Why should I be dedicated to this? There's something about studying that's more valuable than just the studying and getting great grades. And that is you're you're exposing yourself to books and you're learning. And the most important thing is discipline because the rest of your life, learning should not stop. You want to be an avid learner. And avid learning starts with an avid reading. Don't think, I graduated, so I'm going to stop learning. It's like, no, your learning just began. And in order to keep learning, you need discipline. And you need to have a mind that's sharp, that's willing, that likes to learn. So when I forced myself to get straight A's in the ninth and 10th grades, what I didn't realize was the person I was becoming, my brain was growing through all these connections because I was forcing it to learn and memorize and excel. So I developed this brain. It's like developing a muscular body that I otherwise wouldn't have had. And just having the self-confidence that if I wanted something, I knew I could go out there and I could get it. Uh, the discipline, knowing, yeah, I could be disciplined. I could just sit down in a chair and not be distracted, not look for entertainment, not procrastinate. I proved to myself I could do it. And that was probably the biggest gift that I got. I don't remember all the stuff that I learned of algebra and chemistry and all that nonsense. I call it nonsense because it has nothing to do with what I do today. But when I applied myself to those subjects, it helped my brain expand, create connections. It created discipline. It created self-confidence. And those traits that it created is what helps me be successful today. It's the, it's the foundation that I planted back then. Back then, it was about the grade, but there was a skill set that it gave me today. So, th- so think about that when you're, tr- when you're going after goals and grades. You're getting so much more than the grades. You're getting so much more than just getting into the school of your dreams. But where it starts for me to wrap this up and circle back is be a follower of your dreams. Be a follower of successful people. Be a follower of book authors, be a follower of people that are doing the things that you want to do. And when I say don't be a leader, 
don't re- what I mean by that is don't reinvent the wheel. Don't think that you have all the answers and that your opinion matters about success. If you haven't been successful, why should your opinion matter? The opinions, my opinion doesn't matter for the law. It's case law that matters. It's what the practice guides say. I seek what the best minds in the world have to say and I repeat it to the court. And all of a sudden they think I'm a genius and creative and all that. It's like, no, my job is just to go out there and find the successful information and people and present it in a format that the court is going to understand to persuade them. Your job is to go out there and find the successful people so that they can impose their beliefs so that you can adopt those and say, okay, this is what I need to do. This is what I need. This is the discipline that I have to have. These are the, the, the things that I have to go through in order to get from you know A to B to C. So I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast and your challenge is to apply what I've talked about today. Go find some books that are going to inspire you and look at the five people you're hanging around the most. And if they're not serving you, go find five people that will serve you. Five book authors, five influencers, five professors, five mentors, five whatever that are going to help encourage you to get where you need to get. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed this. Take care.